Well, we've been studying the life of Paul and the ministry of Paul. And I was a little concerned last Sunday in the morning service. Dad, he spoke on most of what I was intending to speak on this morning. Um, And then during the week, I heard two other messages on the same exact subject. And while I was at the camp, Uh, on Thursday night, went to a sponsor's devotion and prayer time, and the man that was uh, leading that session spoke on the same exact subject. So uh, this week, since last Sunday, I've heard this spoken on four times. It was my intention to speak on it this morning, so I don't know. uh, Maybe there's something that I'm supposed to be getting from this. I'm not sure. Uh, Hopefully, it will do something for you. But we've talked about Paul being a preacher. We've talked about Paul being a pastor. But more than just being a preacher and a pastor, Paul realized that if the gospel was going to go beyond his life, he had to invest and to pour into other people's lives and to mentor them. And so this morning we're going to talk about Paul being a spiritual parent. And we're going to talk about the responsibility that falls to us as believers to also be spiritual parents, to be mentors to invest into the lives of others coming behind us if we want the gospel to continue, if we want to see uh, this church to continue to go forward, if we want to see other churches continue to go forward, if the Christian faith is going to continue to move forward, we have to do what Paul said, and that is uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to skip a few slides there, guys. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1 where Paul says, Thou therefore, my son, he's writing this letter to Timothy. Thou therefore, my son. Now, was Timothy Paul's biological son? No, he was not. Paul did not have children. Paul was not married. Paul had no children. He calls him his son. He is his son in the faith. Uh, He had that relationship. He's a spiritual parent to him. And he says, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Uh, Paul is pouring into the life of Timothy who served with him, this young man. And we'll look at Timothy this morning. But he pours into the life of Timothy and invests in the life of Timothy. And he says... The things that you've heard from me, the things that you've learned from me, the things that you've heard taught and preached from me, uh, carry that on forward. But don't just let it die with you, Timothy. Commit to being able to teach others also. Because you've got to find somebody to invest in. You have to find somebody else to develop. Uh, What we would call that in the church setting would be discipleship. We are disciples of Christ. And we are to disciple others, new believers, new converts as they come along. That's part of the Great Commission. We're to win them. We're to see them saved. We're to baptize them. But then Jesus said, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. What is that? That is discipleship. That's mentorship. That's investing. That's that's pouring out of your life into somebody else's. That is doing what Paul commands Timothy to do, teaching others also. So we're going to look at Paul, the spiritual parent, this morning. We'll come back to those verses in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 after a while. 
there's a lot of things in our lives that we can figure out on our own. Uh, we can learn to do some things by ourselves. We can teach ourselves some things. But there's a lot of things that, that we know how to do because somebody else took the time to show us how to do it. Uh, Chad was telling me the other night, you know, when it comes to technology, uh, he can learn how to do it, but he needs somebody to show him, right? He's not the one who's going to sit down and learn how to do that. But once he has been shown, once somebody teaches him, then he knows how to do that. And Chad, I mean, his, uh, his profession in life is, is that very thing, teaching others how to do something uh, when it comes to accounting. Uh, we teach people. And so there are things that every single one of us in our lives, the only reason we know how to do them is because somebody taught us. Somebody took time to develop that in our lives. And Paul understood that he had the great responsibility not just to preach the gospel, but to teach others also so that that mission, that ministry would continue forward. Uh, as parents, you've no doubt done that with your own children. You have taught them things. Uh, I remember dad tells the story at one time uh, about a man who attended our church many years ago that proudly boasted that he has never been taught anything. Well, that's not something to brag about. That, that's what we call pride. And I, I would have concerns about somebody who's never been taught anything. We're to be taught. We're to learn. And Paul knew that unless he trained others, and he did so in a way that was easy for them to learn and to see and to replicate, that that mission would not go forward. And so Paul repeated this process all throughout his gospel ministry. Throughout his gospel lifetime, Paul does this over and over and over again. And this morning, we're going to look at three, well, actually four different people that Paul invested into uh, and mentored and how God used them to continue on as teachers and how that multiplication effect works. Uh, have you ever wondered why in the first century, the book of Acts tells us that the early church, that they literally turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ? And they saw exponential growth within the church. Why has growth slowed down? Uh, well, because we aren't doing things quite the same way that the early church did them. Uh, and it might be beneficial to the church of today to get back to doing things like the early church did it. So first this morning, I want you to look at Paul and Mark. Paul and Mark. And we heard this some last Sunday. Uh, I've heard it three times this week. We're going to talk about Paul and Mark this morning because it's interesting and there's some things that we can glean from this as we look at the uh, story of Paul and Mark uh, because it's encouraging. And the reason it's encouraging is because it starts out good, there's a rough middle, things kind of fall apart in the uh, relationship, but then everything is restored and we see... Uh, a good ending. And it begins in Acts chapter 12, verse number 25, with a recruitment of this man, Mark. Paul and Barnabas, they're a great team. God is using them uh, in a great way. And they weren't just an exclusive-minded team that says, you know, uh, Paul and Barnabas, it's just it's me and you, uh, it's the two of us. Uh, we don't have any room for any others to come into this. So in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, it says, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. And when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, 
whose surname was Mark. So they're not just an exclusive group of two. Uh, it's not just the dynamic duo here. They bring in Barnabas's nephew, John Mark. And he was new in the Lord. He's, he's a fairly new convert, uh, or at least he's new in ministry. This is all brand new to him. But Paul and Barnabas together, they were looking to train him to bring him up. They were looking to invest into this young man to become a more effective servant for the Lord. And the early stages, when, it, when we're discipling a new believer, training a new believer, uh, it can kind of be labor-intensive. But as a mature believer, we have to look back and remember uh, that there was a time when somebody mentored us, somebody brought us along. There's going to be sacrifice required. If you're a mature believer and you want to obey the command of Scripture to teach others also and to push the gospel ministry forward, it's going to require that you give of yourself. When we talk about investing or pouring into somebody, the reason we use that phrase pouring into is because you're literally having to give of yourself to someone else. There is sacrifice involved. It's labor intensive. But when we think back, think of those who invested into your life. It's people just like Jonathan and Megan who take a week out of their schedule to go spend a week with some of your children at camp and teenagers at camp. That's, that's investing. That's sacrifice. Uh, there are things that they could have done. He had to take a week off of work. Uh, he was not out producing money last week. Uh, so he is sacrificing to be there, but he's trying to influence. She's trying to influence uh, people for the good of the ministry. And each one of us have people that have done that for us. It may be having somebody over to your house and having a gospel conversation, a ministry-focused conversation, uh, encouraging somebody. It may be taking somebody out for a cup of coffee, inviting somebody uh, just to go along somewhere that you're going and, and having that one-on-one -on -one time with a, with a newer convert, a new believer, to encourage them. And if you'll remember, this duo of Paul and Barnabas, they began when... Paul was a new believer. Barnabas was the one who came alongside Paul. When nobody else wanted to have anything to do with Paul, in Acts chapter 9 it says uh, he went to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. We talked about this several weeks ago in our introduction to Paul. But in Acts chapter 9 verse 27 it says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. So Barnabas comes beside Paul, and he vouches for him, and he puts his arm around him, and he says, uh, he's one of us. And he begins to invest into the life of Saul. And we talked about in the very beginning how the Lord, in that vision uh, to Paul, he encouraged him. And he came to others and said, hey, this man I've set apart for a great work. And Barnabas played a vital role in what Paul became. And Paul was attempting now to do the same for others. And, you know, in my life, obviously, uh, I have a wonderful heritage with spiritual parents that have definitely invested and mentored me. But growing up as a preacher's kid... Uh, I've had multiple people. We, we would have many times people that would speak at our church. They would come through and they would stay in our home. 
So I would sit and just listen to these people. And I've had the, I've had the honor to, to have several uh, wonderful preachers and pastors that I would just sit and listen to and begin to form a relationship with that, that were willing to instruct me and to help me over the years. And that's what we're to do as believers. We're to encourage them to become fellow laborers for the Lord. And that's what Paul and Barnabas do with Mark. But unfortunately, the partnership with John Mark didn't work out as well because what happens? Well, Mark leaves. Things get difficult. Maybe things don't go the way that Mark was expecting them to go. It was, a, it was not an easy road that Paul and Barnabas took as this gospel ministry in the first century, as these early Christians, as they're paving the way. It was not easy. And so Mark leaves and he returns to Jerusalem right in the middle of their missionary journey. Acts 13, 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And we see the rebuke that happens here. Uh, And we're not told why Mark left. We're speculating as to those things. But whatever it was, it doesn't appear that Paul supported John Mark's decision to quit them in the middle of this missionary journey and go home. And when it comes time, when that missionary journey completes, and it's time for Paul and Barnabas to leave on their next missionary journey, when we go to Acts chapter 15... Barnabas, he wants to overlook his nephew's mistake of going back home. He wants to overlook that and he wants to bring John Mark again. He wants to give him another chance. But Paul was determined he wasn't going to bring Mark with them. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said unto Barnabas, let's go again. Visit our brethren every city where we preach the word and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And they have such a strong disagreement between these two good men that they end up going their separate ways. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And they go their separate ways. And it's disappointing to see this contention so sharp between these two good men of God, these two brothers in Christ. They cannot come to an agreement over Mark. And so they split and they go their own way. And this is that rough middle that we talked about. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed. And I think there's some things that we can learn from this, number one, uh, when we have a disagreement with brothers and sisters in Christ, number one, don't always assume that you're right. That's usually our first position. Well, I'm right. Paul, no doubt, thought that he was right. Barnabas thought he was right. But when we have a disagreement, a mature believer, take into consideration, maybe I'm not correct in this. I'm doing what I think God wants me to do. Paul no doubt thought he was doing what God's will was, and that was to not take John Mark. 
And Barnabas thinks, I am doing what God has showed me to do. And that is to give Mark another chance and let's take Mark. They both believed that they were doing what God wanted. And they're both good men. The second thing that we can learn when we have a disagreement, nowhere in the book of Acts do we ever hear Paul tearing down Barnabas. And we never hear from Barnabas tearing down Paul. Even though these two men have a sharp contention and a big disagreement over this, they never tore one another down. You can have a disagreement with somebody and they can still love the Lord and you can still love the Lord and you can still both serve the Lord. You don't have to tear somebody down because you don't agree over something. And we need to keep our priorities straight. We don't have to let our emotions take control. Because that's the, that's the easy thing to happen in situations like this is to let our emotions get the best of us when there is a disagreement. And we have to understand that to Barnabas, Mark was what? He was his family. This is his nephew. So maybe Barnabas' emotions are in control here. We're just making some assumptions this morning. We don't know this, but it's possible. That would be very probable. And maybe Barnabas should have submitted to Paul as the leader of this missionary expedition and said, you know, I think we should take Barnabas. I understand that you don't. Uh, you're the one leading this, so I'm going to go ahead and submit to what you want to do, and we'll come back to this another time. And he could have still encouraged his nephew to get back into the ministry. That's possible. Uh, but as it was, Barnabas and Paul end up splitting ways, and he goes ahead and takes his nephew with him, and they go out. And we don't read any more of Barnabas or Mark in the book of Acts. And another practical thing is we need to guard against fighting to have our own way. Because I think in this story that Paul and Barnabas, they both share in the responsibility. Everybody wants to talk about, well, who was really at fault? Was Paul at fault? Was Barnabas at fault? Uh, I think they both share some responsibility in the fault that happened here. Um, because it says the contention was so sharp between them. So there's some anger. There's some divisiveness that's happening in this moment. And these are two good men that have served God well together. And the Bible, the Bible tells us this. What is the root of contention? It's pride. You know, we just finished Pride Month. The Bible really doesn't have anything good to say about pride, does it? In the book of Proverbs, it says, Only by pride cometh contention. Paul would write to the church at Rome, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. So guarding is fighting to have your own way. But even in the midst of this contention, and this is one of the wonderful stories of God's grace, that even though these two good men of God, they've disagreed, they have a sharp contention, they split ways and they're no longer serving together, instead of it just being... Paul and Barnabas out on this missionary journey. Did you notice what happened? You now have Barnabas and Mark going out. And you now have Paul going his way. And so the gospel, even in the midst of this contention, it caused the gospel to spread even further. Because God's grace overshadows those things. But that's not how Mark's story ends, is it? That's not where we see, that's the end of where we see Mark in the book of Acts. But that's not where we see the end of Mark. This is what we heard last Sunday. 
the restoration, after many years of ministry have passed, and Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he's in prison for the sake of the gospel. Uh, He's traveled with a lot of companions over the years, but at this point, we know that uh, only Luke is with him. And so he writes in this letter to Timothy. He says to him, Of all people, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he's profitable for me to the ministry. Now, isn't that something? He's profitable to me. This is the same Mark, isn't it, that abandoned them back in Pamphylia? The same one that he says, Barnabas, uh, I just can't get past this. we're, We're splitting ways. Yeah, it's the same Mark. Mark had grown in the Lord. Paul had grown in the Lord. You see that that guy many years ago that said, I've never been taught anything. That that is the mark of a Christian who has stopped growing. Paul was not that kind of Christian. He has learned more about maturing. He's learned more about becoming like Jesus. He's learned more about God's grace and God's forgiveness. And he puts Mark's past behind him, and he says, Timothy, bring Mark. Because he's profitable. And so Paul, who invested into Mark's life in the beginning, and then there is this separation, there's this gap. Later in Paul's life, he says, bring him back. And he continues to invest in his life. And Paul becomes his spiritual mentor again. And later, God used this man, Mark, to write one of the four Gospels. And we don't know at what point Paul and Mark reestablished this kind of relationship, but we see that Paul was willing to restore a brother. And it was a serious matter to the Apostle Paul that he chose to leave the ministry. But when he came back, he made a place for him. You see, many times people that we deal with, they will fall. They may walk away. And sometimes we just write people completely off. And that's not to say that there are certain things that may disqualify somebody from uh, holding a position of pastor. But when somebody sins, when somebody falls, when somebody steps back, but they choose to repent, Scripture shows us that God always welcomes a repentant sinner back. And failure doesn't have to be final. That's one of the wonderful things that we see in Mark's case. Mark had some sort of failure here, but it wasn't final, and that's not what defined him. The book of Proverbs tells us, A just man falleth seven times, yet riseth up again. And Paul would write uh, to the church at Galatia that if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You see, it ought to be our desire as Christians, especially if you're a mature Christian, if you've been a believer for a while, if you've grown in the Lord, if you have been taught something, it should be your desire to help somebody who's fallen away, to find one of those John Marks who's kind of drifted off the path and help bring them back to a place of repentance and to a place of usefulness.
there's the story of uh, a man by the name of William Scott. He's one of Vermont's most famous Civil War soldiers. There's a poem even written about him called The Sleeping Sentinel. On August 31st, 1861, he was assigned to guard duty that night, and he was found asleep at his post. He was court-martialed. He was found guilty, and he was sentenced to be shot. Some fellow soldiers begin to intercede for him, and the appeal that they make reaches all the way to the desk of Abraham Lincoln. President Lincoln considers all of these circumstances, and he issues a pardon for William Scott. Here was a man that history remembers as the sleeping soldier, the sleeping sentinel, a man who was down on his job, a man that was sentenced to be killed. When he receives the pardon, when he was restored to military service, he put that behind him, and he went on to be one of the best soldiers that Vermont knew. And eight months later, he died a, a heroic death in one of the major battles. So let's be careful not to just write somebody off because they make a mistake sometime. Because the, they've disappointed us in the past. People are going to disappoint us. I've had people disappoint me. I've probably disappointed some of you. But don't write somebody off because of that. Let's learn from the relationship of Paul and Mark that there can be restoration and there can be repentance and there is a continued usefulness. And Paul continued to mentor and to be a spiritual parent to Mark. And then we come to probably when we think of Paul mentoring somebody, the first name that probably pops into most of our heads is this man, Timothy, isn't it? Paul and Timothy. And it, Paul's affection, he has a high regard for this young man. It's very apparent in the two letters that he wrote to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, in the first four verses, we see the introduction of this epistle to Timothy. And he calls him, my dearly beloved son. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus the Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure, uh, pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. You can hear the affection that Paul has for this young man, Timothy. The joy that Timothy has brought to Paul. And Paul, he spoke of uh, Timothy's faithfulness to others in the book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 4, he says, For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, faithful in the Lord who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. And we can look at Paul and Timothy's relationship from a few different angles. And they all emphasize Paul's willingness to invest in somebody. That's what we're talking about this morning, is investing into people, mentoring people, coming alongside younger believers, newer converts, teaching others also. 
So the ministry continues to move forward. And we first see that Timothy was a faithful student. There was preparation going on in Timothy's life, even before Paul came along. Uh, Timothy is not who he was because of Paul. Timothy is who he is because of God. And it wasn't just Paul. Paul is a great influence in his life, but uh, what I heard Scott Pauley say this week is, you know, it's not like when we reach somebody that it's just a rope where we're pulling one person up. He said it's more like a, it's more like a chain where there's multiple links in the chain. He said Paul was the last link in the chain. And praise God when you get to be the last link in the chain that gets to help somebody. But praise the Lord for whoever that first link in the chain is that lays the foundation, the one who waters As Paul said in another scripture, you can be that first link in the chain. And there's many links in between. I like what Scott Pauley said. He said, the prayer we need to pray is, Lord, don't let me be the missing link. We don't want to be the missing link in the chain. Because it doesn't really matter if you're first or if you're last or if you're in the middle somewhere. Just be in the chain that helps reach other people. And there had been a foundation laid. Now, it it wasn't the ideal situation for Timothy. Timothy grew up in a home where both parents were not serving the Lord. Both parents were not believers. Timothy grew up in a home where his father was not a Christian. This is not an ideal situation. So if you didn't get the the best start in life, you didn't grow up in the ideal situation, you can take comfort from the life of Timothy, and every single person can use Timothy as an example that you don't have to have the perfect situation. Things don't have to line up exactly uh, the way that we would want them to, to be able to be used of God. Timothy didn't have that. But praise the Lord, Timothy had a mother, and he had a grandmother. Timothy would testify of them, of how they instructed him, of how they taught him the Scriptures. Even though it wasn't the perfect situation, he had this foundation. And he had been taught from his childhood. In Acts chapter 16, this is where we meet Timothy. In Acts chapter 16, the first two verses. uh, Then came he, speaking of Paul, to Derbe and Lystra. Behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timotheus. So he's, he's already a disciple. He's a believer. The son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. And in 2 Timothy, Paul writes uh, in that introduction, he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, this was a verse that uh, we heard just, just last week. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned it, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. And at some point, apparently because of the good reports from other believers, uh, Paul invites Timothy to join him uh, as a traveling companion on his missionary journeys, and, and Timothy begins to learn from Paul how to minister to others and how to build them up in the Lord. And if we look at Acts chapter 16, verse number 3, it says, Him would Paul have go forth with him. Speaking of Timothy, and I want you to notice those two words, uh, with him. This was something Scott Polly pointed out this week that I thought was pretty interesting. When we see the disciples of Jesus called, uh, Jesus called his disciples to go with him. And what does that mean? That means that you have somebody uh, that you've decided to mentor, 
You want them to go with you. Jesus didn't didn't immediately send the disciples out for him, did he? They didn't become the apostles. They weren't planting churches. They weren't doing all these. Before they ever went out for him, they went out with him, alongside him. Before Timothy ever went out for the Lord, he went with Paul to learn from him. And we read in Scripture uh, at different places that it would speak of Paul going to do this. Paul going to do that. He went there. And in the book of Acts, it changes from using the words they to we and us from Luke's testimony. Luke joins in. For a while, he's just writing. He's not part of the missionary team. But eventually, Luke joins in with the team. And he went with them. And it says, and he took him. And circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew his father was a Greek. Uh, Timothy is a is a man at this point. There were those who were teaching that you had to be circumcised to receive salvation, and Paul tells Timothy, uh, "You need to be circumcised." But it wasn't for salvation, was it? As he is investing into this young man, as he is teaching this young man, as he is mentoring this young man, uh, he tells him, "There's going to be some roadblocks to your ministry, Timothy." And if you submit to circumcision, this is going to remove some of those stumbling blocks out of the way. It's going to open more doors to ministry. This was a big sacrifice for Timothy to agree to. This was not something easy for Timothy to do. But as a mature believer, listening to Paul, his father in the faith, He understands that what he's instructing him in, because sometimes as as believers, we have to instruct people in some difficult things. Everything's not easy. Sometimes we have to say the hard things. This was probably a difficult thing for Paul to talk with Timothy about. But Timothy understands, okay, my ministry, my circle of influence, my sphere of influence... It might only be this big if I don't do what Paul is, is saying. And Paul's saying, Timothy, if you want to have a great influence, if you want to be used greatly of God, widely by God, here's what you need to do. And Timothy submitted. Timothy agreed to it. Timothy was willing to be taught. And as believers, that's the important thing, that we're willing to be taught. And when you're looking for somebody to develop, you've got to look for somebody's heart. Uh, Rather than looking for their ability, what you think their talent is, look for their heart. Are they willing to learn? Do they have a spirit that is teachable? Those are the kind of people that we can invest in. And in Acts 17 and 18, Timothy, he worked alongside uh, Silas in service to Paul. And then Timothy ministered to Paul. And as a teacher and as a student, Paul and Timothy, they respected and cherished the relationship, and God blessed their work. And Paul benefited from the assistance of Timothy. Timothy was a great blessing in the life of Paul. And Timothy learned a lot from Paul. In the medical field, uh, through training and apprenticeship, there is a phrase that is used called see one, do one, teach one when it comes to medical procedures. And it kind of goes back to this biblical principle of being able to teach others also. 
before one ever becomes a board-certified surgeon, they've spent years, six years, eight years, ten years, up to 13 years training. And it's said that most surgeons have participated in over 750 procedures before they are ever board-certified. And this phrase of see one, do one, teach one comes back to that example that they are passing on, that they are instructing others, they are investing into those that are coming along behind them, that are shadowing them. Now, you shouldn't feel unable to serve the Lord and say, well, I need 13 years of training before I can do anything. No, you can serve God right now where you're at. The point is we're to be taking younger Christians under our wings and encouraging them to serve the Lord. We can teach someone how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible. You can invest into somebody's life and discuss prayer. You can invest into somebody's life and show them how to lead someone to the Lord. You can invite a a younger believer, a newer believer, to go with you to visit somebody and show them. Uh, You've heard the saying, more is caught than taught. We can talk to people all day long, but it's a lot better when we actually take them with us and we show them with our lives. Timothy was a faithful student, but he was also a fellow servant because he continued to grow in grace. And and he goes from just being Paul's apprentice to being uh, Paul's co-worker. Paul calls him in Romans 16, 21, he calls him my work fellow. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he calls Timothy a fellow laborer. He counted Timothy as his equal in his uh, letter to the church at Corinth. He said, if Timotheus come, see that he may be uh, with you without fear, for he, worketh, uh, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. He was, he was Paul's equal. In Philippians, he says, uh, Timothy is an authorized representative to come to your church. He said, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. As we bring others along beside of us, invite them to labor with you. Get them involved. That's what Josh was talking about this morning. He's glad to be involved. When you want to develop a Timothy, if you want to develop someone to come behind you in the faith, get them involved. Because it's not just a spectator sport. You can't just be willing to sit on the sidelines and watch. You actually have to get involved and participate. So get them involved. I was talking with a friend yesterday He said, uh, we've got a new convert at our church. He's been saved about six months. He doesn't look exactly the way that we think he ought to look. He doesn't do everything exactly the way we think he ought to do them. But he wants to serve the Lord, and so we've got him involved in doing things. He said, last Sunday, man, he was telling me what he did last Sunday at church. And he said, uh, our associate pastor was over on the side of the stage. He said he was just beaming from ear to ear because this was his convert that he led to the Lord. And even though everything in his life's not exactly where it should be, he's gotten him involved and he's serving the Lord where he's at. That's what it's about. Because we believe that this is all about a relationship. It's not just about following rules 
Uh, that's what the Pharisees were big on. They wanted to follow rules. They wanted to look the right way. I don't care what kind of music you listen to. You can listen to the right music. You can dress the right way. But inside, uh, you can be uh, vile. And sometimes we get too many churches that are so focused on those exterior things that they forget about the inside stuff. Invest into people. Invite them to labor alongside of us in meaningful ministry to other people. That will open up opportunities as you show them that you care about them, as you show them that you're invested in their life. That gives you opportunities uh, to talk about other things. Maybe surface issues that that need to change in our lives. We can deal with that down the road. I know some, uh, someone that was telling me a year or so ago about some new believers. They came to church and they were so proud of the Bible that they had. It's not the same Bible that we use at this church. But they were going to get baptized that morning and someone from the church saw that they didn't have the same Bible that we have. And they said, oh, we can't baptize you until you change your Bible hurt them, offended them. They walked out the door. They've never walked back into that church again. Is the Bible version that we use important? Yeah, we believe it's important. But that's not something we deal with on day number one. There's a time that we get to where we teach that. You invest in somebody. When you earn their trust, when they know that you actually care about them, that's when they'll listen to you. That's when you have the ability to begin to talk about other things like that and to instruct them in the way of God more perfectly. Remember Aquila and Priscilla? New believers don't know everything they need to know, but they don't have to know it all on day number one. We need to be investing. But Paul was also, uh, uh, Timothy, he was not just a faithful student, a fellow servant, but he was a favorite son. Multiple times in Scripture, he calls Timothy his son in the faith, his beloved son. Again, Paul, this was not his biological son. But Paul loved Timothy as if it was his own son. He had that sort of relationship with him. And then very quickly, and lastly this morning, we'll just kind of hit the highlight here. I want you to see Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. And we heard about them last Sunday as well. And this is kind of a unique view in Paul's life on how he handled problems and difficulties between believers. Onesimus, he was a runaway slave. He was owned by this man Philemon. Paul meets Onesimus in Rome. He leads him to Christ. And as it turns out, Paul also knew Philemon. He had uh, previously led him to Christ. And so Paul has a high regard for Philemon as a fellow laborer, as a brother in Christ. And he's kind of in the middle of this situation between Onesimus and Philemon. And so Paul takes on the effort of trying to make peace between these two guys that Paul is investing in. And so he makes a request and he writes this letter to Philemon and he sends it to Philemon uh, by none other than Onesimus. This is a one-chapter book in the the New Testament and it's a wonderful wonderful chapter. It's a wonderful letter uh, as we see. But we see Paul, and we don't have time to read through. I would encourage you to go home this afternoon and just read the short book of Philemon. 
But you can really see Paul's heart. And the love that he has for this man, Philemon, that he's invested in. You can see the love that he has for this man, Onesimus. And how he wants to see peace made between these two brothers in Christ. And Paul, as a mature Christian, is trying to kind of help as a mediator here to work to solve this problem and to get peace back. And he expresses his wish that he accept Onesimus back, uh, not as a servant, not as a slave returning in disgrace, but he, he writes to Philemon, and he says, Philemon, he says, I want you to receive him not as a servant, not as a slave, but as a beloved brother. He says, receive him as you would receive me. That was Paul's request. And it, I would note here that this book of Philemon, even though slavery wasn't exactly the same in... Uh, in Rome and in this part of the world as it was in the United States or even in Europe, this small book, this greatly fired many of the uh, movements to abolish slavery, what Paul wrote. And Paul emphasizes the relationship between uh, Philemon and Onesimus. He says, your relationship's no longer a master and a servant. You are now brothers in the Lord. And you need to find peace. You need to, get this, you need to get this thing settled. And so he's trying to be a peacemaker, and he's trying to bring restoration. And, and he, he says in verse uh, 17, number, uh, verse number 16, he says, you know, I would like to keep Onesimus with me. He would be wonderful to have in the ministry. But he says, I'm going to let you make the decision on Onesimus' future. I'm sending him back to you, Philemon. I'd like him to stay with me. And he tells Philemon, he says, if Onesimus has done anything wrong, Paul offers to assume all the responsibility. He says, put that on my account. If he's done anything, if he owes anything, put it on my account. And that's a wonderful, beautiful picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. I mean, we stand before God guilty. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve to be accepted back. Uh, But Jesus said, uh, put it on my account. For the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from the Lord. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He went to the cross. He put it on his account. And he said, uh, your account is now paid in full. And then here's the reminder. Paul comes back to strengthen his argument. He says, I'll pay for any wrongdoing that Onesimus has done. But here's another reason why you should welcome Onesimus back home. Because Onesimus is now a believer in Christ. He's positionally a brother to Philemon. And he says, he says uh, Philemon, uh, basically he reminds him that Philemon owes his salvation to Paul. He says, Philemon, uh, I'm the one who came and told you about the Lord. Basically, you owe me one, Philemon. Take him back. And he's trying to receive, uh, achieve reconciliation. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ is the peacemaker. He's the mediator between God and man. And we become like the Lord Jesus Christ when we work reconciliation, when we work as peacemakers. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers. So we don't want to just have peace with our fellow believers, but we ought to seek to make peace 
That doesn't mean you have to stick your nose into everybody's business and situation, but, but seek to help work peace. There's a known problem. Try to be a, a peacemaker. Don't, don't be one who drives a wedge between Christians and creates division. Be one who brings people together. That's what Paul did in his life. This morning we've seen Paul mentor uh, people like Mark, and he restored Mark to a place of usefulness. He invested in Timothy as his student and son in the faith, and he brings reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. Uh, I would want to leave you with two things this morning. That's number one, uh, think back on the people who have invested into your life. Praise God for them. Thank God for them. If they're still alive, uh, send them a note and let them know that you're appreciative of the things that they've taught you and how they uh, invested into your life and sacrificed. And then secondly, find a Timothy to develop on your own. I didn't put this in your notes this morning. These are the notes that I wrote down from what Scott Pauley talked about this week. And if you want to take notes, let me just give you four quick things and we'll be done. How to develop a Timothy. Number one, identify him. Find somebody specific. It may be in your own family. It may be your child, grandkid. Find somebody to develop. If you don't have somebody, ask God to specifically send somebody into your life that you can help mentor and develop. Secondly, you have to influence a Timothy. We talked about how he was with him before they went out for him. Influence them. Instruct them. Get to the point where they, where they trust you. Instruct them. Sometimes it requires difficult conversations, but instruct them in the things of the Lord. And then involve them. Uh, get them right along beside you as a fellow laborer. Be that link in the chain that God uses to reach somebody and drive the gospel ministry forward. Otherwise, if we don't, if we're not teaching others also, if we're not doing what Paul commanded, the church dies with us. It doesn't go to the next generation. We have to be investing, sacrificing, pouring into other people's lives. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for this opportunity to look at these individuals from Paul's life. Lord, I pray that you would convict us this morning, uh, help us to identify uh, someone like a Timothy in our lives that we can uh, develop to become a great servant for you. Help us to have a love for people. Lord, we pray that you'd meet with us in this morning's service. In Jesus' name, amen.